0: Well, it's been a good morning already. Graham's prayed for us and in our time in the Word, so let's jump right in to considering uh, who the Lord is uh, as we've been looking at the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, uh, written many, many years ago, uh, recited by many, many Christians throughout the ages. We've been using the Apostles' Creed uh, to consider what the Bible says about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, who we are as believers. Uh, It's a short summary of uh, the essentials of our faith, Uh, for any true Christian must believe these things uh, to truly call themselves a Christian. Um, If you don't hold fast to these truths about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about uh, us as sinners, then, um, then you're not a Christian. And so we want to not only remember these, but we want to understand them in depth because the Bible speaks about them in depth. Um, I want you to consider, uh, as many of us have probably done, and as I have mentioned, having the privilege of going on vacation a couple of weeks ago. As you, uh, if you have been to the mountains, and you. See them from far away. Uh, you can see that, that range in the distance. And though it's higher than the flat plains that you're driving through to get there. And when you're driving through Texas, it's flat plains and flat plains and flat plains until you finally get to something that's more elevated uh, in New Mexico. You see those mountains in the distance Uh, And then they slowly but surely, uh, you know, come to the forefront uh, as you get closer and closer to them. Then you're at the foot of those mountains and you're looking up. If you've driven up uh, towards Denver and you've seen the mountains on the left, that's the front range of the Rocky Mountains and you're looking up even uh, in Colorado Springs up at Pike's Peak Uh, and, and maybe you've even gone beyond that and you're... You, you decide to drive up into the mountains, uh, and, and as you're in the midst of the mountains, you're uh, ascending, if you will, higher and higher as you, as you go, and may even have had the privilege, whether through driving to a, a mountain like that at Pikes Peak, or uh, maybe you hiked to the top of one of the 14ers in Colorado, maybe you biked up there, maybe you just took the easy route like I did uh, sometimes, take the chairlift to the top. But you get up there and and you're at the heights of the mountains enjoying all uh, of of what God has for us in the glory of creation. It's that kind of picture that I want us to have today. As we look up, as the disciples did uh, in Acts 1, to the ascended Christ. Uh, Jesus, as we often focus on and we sing about, He did die, and He did rise from the dead. And we ought to focus on those uh, foundational truths of the gospel, but not at the expense of not focusing on the ascension of Jesus. Because as I've said, if you take away Christmas, you you don't have the gospel. Uh, If you take away the incarnation, you don't have the gospel. If you take away the crucifixion, obviously. Uh, Good Friday, you don't have the gospel. If you take away the resurrection and Easter, you don't have the gospel. And I would say to you, if you take away the ascension, you don't have the gospel. It falls in on itself. The ascension is an essential reality of the gospel, proving that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. If God did not accept Jesus' sacrifice and give Him that seat at the right hand of His throne, then we would not be secure in our salvation. We would not have assurance. We would not have hope. It would not be uh, finished uh, as Jesus said it was to be finished. And so I want us to look up. I want us to uh, be in awe even more so in awe of Jesus this morning as the ascended Christ than we are the mountains when we go on vacation. But uh, I, I also want us to go up. I also want us to understand what His ascension means to us as Christians more in depth. Uh, and then in, in reality, uh, realize that the Bible actually says where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, we too will be seated with Him in those heights. And so it's, there's some pretty neat truths that oftentimes we uh, don't get the opportunity to focus on in this way, but that's one of the benefits that the Creed has given us to focus on these lines and to go back to the Scriptures Uh, The ascension of Christ is mentioned in several different places, though not all the Gospels mention it uh, as in detail as others. Mark mentions it in Mark chapter 16, verse 19, uh, where he says, Then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, that was commissioning them, sending them out to proclaim the Gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, Mark says that He was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Luke records it in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, verse 50. He says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. That's the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And it says, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. They worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke would go on to write a second volume uh, to his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, but he'd write a second volume, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or maybe better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, despite the Apostles. Uh, if you will. But in Acts chapter 1, we probably have the most detailed record of the, the Lord's ascension. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, um, Luke, having written the gospel, kind of goes back a little bit, summarizes uh, what happened, gives a little bit more detail, and then moves forward. But he says, "...so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" The disciples were still thinking, you know, Jesus, when you came into Jerusalem in your triumphal entry, um, a week before uh, he would be crucified, when he came in, they thought, okay, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. You're going to establish your kingdom. You're going to rule, and you're going to give us the freedom uh, that we so desire. You're going to build us a kingdom for yourself. And then he died, and they were confused and didn't understand, uh, only to see him resurrected on the third day. And now, 40 days later, they're coming back to that old mentality and we're like, is it time now? Now are you going to establish your kingdom? We know that you didn't before, but now you've died, now you were buried, you rose from the dead, maybe now you're going to do it. But Jesus here is proving that his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. And he goes to where his kingdom is. It's a heavenly kingdom. And so they asked this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then famously in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, a.k.a. angels. And and they said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Three clear records of the ascension. Matthew doesn't mention it. He simply gives the commission of Christ. John doesn't tell it like this but he actually records a handful of predictions of Jesus that he would not only die, but that he would also ascend to the heavens. Uh, And so uh, each of them giving glimpses of this in their own uh, way of telling, being inspired by the Holy Spirit regarding the ascension of Christ. Uh, One of those in John is after Jesus died on the cross, Uh, After he rose from the dead, uh, Mary was clinging to him. And Jesus said to her in John 20, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. But all of them speak of this ascension, this Jesus going up, Up into the heavens, up into the clouds. And so when we say ascended, we do mean that he did go up and that he was taken uh, by a cloud out of their sight. But what we don't mean is that he went up into outer space. And though the Bible can use the word heavens to speak of the sky and the sun, the moon, the stars, and the outer space regions. That's not what, uh, what Luke was recording at that time. Jesus was not the first astronaut uh, going up into the heavens in that way. But he did go up. Where he did go was heaven in the sense that he went to be with God. This is why they speak of him sitting at the right hand of God. So his ascension not only speaks of the direction that he went, upwards, but it speaks of where he was going, that he was exalted, that he was lifted up, that he was able then to sit at the right hand of God. This is, the, this is what the, the writers of the New Testament mean when they say that he ascended, not only directionally, but he went uh, up to be able to sit at the throne of God. You think about what happened recently in England when King Charles ascended to the throne when Queen Elizabeth died. Well, praise the Lord, God the Father did not have to die for Jesus to ascend to the throne. But when Jesus sits at the right hand of God, God is essentially giving all authority and all power uh, and and to Jesus, he's stating himself e- equal with Jesus, Jesus equal with God, being God Himself. That they are able to sit enthroned together, and so there's an ascension to the throne that's being described uh, in this place. But then we got to ask the question: So then, where where is heaven? Um, heaven, most simply described, is being in the presence of God, and I've said before that the best thing about heaven is being in the presence of God, and the worst thing about hell is being away from the presence of God. Oftentimes, what um, the the pictures and the images that we think of heaven with. Gold streets and mansions and jewels and all of those things are really not most accurately describing what heaven is right now. In fact, that's more so what Jesus is, said he was going to prepare for us and that we will experience one day. The Bible's just more, uh, it describes heaven now more simply in that it's where God is. And there's a throne. And worship is happening all around the throne. And I know we want more. I know you want more. Yeah, but what else? That's enough. Uh, That's enough for us to consider all the days of our life and be enthralled with with what it is. All of those other pictures of heaven are to come, uh, but not necessarily describing what, what heaven is right this instant. And Jesus is still working. One of the things we mentioned regarding Jesus on the cross, famously where in John 19.30, he says, it is finished. And, And what he meant there is that the payment for sin had been made. That the work that God sent him to do had been accomplished in him willingly laying down his life on the cross. But as he was given authority to lay down his life, he was also given authority to raise it back up again. And so in one sense, Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. But that doesn't mean when Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of the Father, it's like your dad sitting on his lazy boy on Sunday afternoon watching golf, doing nothing, sleeping, and that kind of thing. Jesus is actively still working. Jesus is actively uh, still keeping you. He's still uh, at his work of salvation and sanctification. Ephesians chapter four verse nine says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, which is the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And so I want us to consider some of these things regarding the the sitting at the right hand of the Father. As I said earlier, when Jesus sits at the right hand of God, it's proof that God the Father, as the creed now says, Mentions for the second time, uh, we started the creed with an acknowledgment uh, that we have a belief in God the Father Almighty, and and, and the early Christians saw it necessary and important enough to um, say to bring up this um, uh, truth about God being our Father and Almighty, even later on in the creed. Doubly important, enough to repeat here. Saying that Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, truly God and truly man, having died, was buried, and risen from the dead, uh, is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is proof that God has accepted, that God has affirmed, that God has approved who Jesus is and Jesus' sacrifice, as well as His uh, um, final victory over sin and death in the resurrection and has now given Him a seat right next to Him. God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice. It's not just the Gospel writers that make note of this. Uh, Let's consider other Scriptures that mention the ascension of Jesus Consider Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. In the opening up of this great letter to the Jews, the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, that's on the cross and in the resurrection, "...He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs." So not only uh, does the the Scriptures describe uh, that Jesus is truly God and yet became truly man, in his ascension, it's saying that he went back to where he was originally, um, being far superior even to the angels. Uh, meaning, unlike some others that may call themselves Christians, Jesus is not just an angel. And the angels are not equal to him. The right, sitting at the right hand of the Father proves that. Or Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, later in that letter, The writer says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Consider all of the other priests whom the writer of Hebrews uh, is writing to the Jews who had looked to priests to offer sacrifice for sins for generation after generation, millennia after millennia. And yet... The writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is far superior to any priest that has ever lived for when he offered himself, not another lamb, but offered himself, sinless, spotless lamb of God, he was given a place at the right hand of the Father and the majesty on high. But it's not even just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament as well. Uh, In fact, the ascension is... uh, uh, a proof. Uh, it's a fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 110, verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, uh, said of the coming Messiah that He would eventually sit at the right hand of God until all of the enemies of God would be made his footstool and the greatest enemy was death which had been made at the footstool of Christ Paul was one of the few if you think about the chronology of Paul's conversion he was one of the few to see not only the resurrected Christ but to see the ascended Christ the resurrected ascended Christ return from heaven uh, as a shining light blinding him and converting him uh, there on the road. And Paul speaks of the ascension, speaks of Jesus who ascended this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul, having seen the resurrected and ascended Christ return to convert him, speaks inspired by the Holy Spirit of the ascended Jesus uh, with no loft there's no loftier words to describe him he has all authority all power all dominion all might there's no no one that has any more power and rule he alone is is to be worshiped and, and not only that but he goes on later in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 having described the utter despair and deadness of humanity because of their sin. And then speaking about those whom Christ has made alive in Christ by grace through faith. He goes on. We sing this, church, in, in, in Graham's song, in the Ephesians 2, 1-10 through 10 song. I hope this sermon, I hope these Scriptures will make this line of that song an even greater reality in our minds when we sing it in the future. But consider verse 6. Not only did He take us from being dead in our sins, making us alive in Christ by grace through faith, but it goes on in verse 6 to say, and, and, not as if that weren't enough, but and He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not Brother Nick, uh, who taught our apologetics class so well and so in-depth this morning. I think he would say to you as well, there's no way to explain this mystery. How Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, who has also made us alive in Christ and has seated us in the heavenly places, even though we're also here on the earth, but how Christ has sent his spirit to be with us, therefore, if heaven is where God is, uh, there is a bit of heaven here on earth, and we are somewhat seated in the heavenly places and yet still here on this earth to be about the Father's business and the power of the Holy Spirit. There is just such great mystery, such great awe, but consider this Truth and reality, though we may not be able to explain it, uh, there is a truth in the reality that we too, while even here on earth, have a place in heaven seated next to the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has made it happen so. He has seated us in the heavenly places. And when we consider that, we also might consider. Uh, Ultimately, this is, there's an already and not yet aspect to even that truth of being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. For Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. There's, so there's a present reality that we're seated with Christ in heaven already, but even a not yet aspect to that where it will happen even in a fuller way to the one who perseveres by faith uh, and, and overcomes in the end. Amazing, amazing truths. And so what is, if Jesus is not sitting on a lazy boy, sitting back, relaxing all cool, Then, what is Jesus doing there in heaven? The scriptures give us several clear aspects of what he's doing there. One of them we looked at in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, is so encouraging to me. I hope it was to you. When you consider uh, verse 31 of chapter 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And listen, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. What is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? Christian, he's interceding on your behalf to God the Father. He is continually mediating your relationship with God the Father Almighty. He's still there. He's interceding for you. So when you don't have the words, the Spirit groans inwardly with words uh, on your behalf and Christ is seated at the right hand of God mediating, intercessing on your behalf. Christian, you don't need to go to any other intercessor on this earth or one who has gone before. You don't need anyone. Christ Himself is, is interceding on our behalf. Or Hebrews again the writer of Hebrews had a grand picture of this ascended Jesus. He says in chapter 7, verse 23, "...the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But He..." Who's He? Jesus. "...He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever." Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save you, Christian, because he is still at the right hand of God making intercession for you. And so the Bible would speak of salvation that you are saved, but you are also being saved. Jesus saved you through His death and His resurrection on the cross, but He is still saving you in His ascension, and we need to remember that reality. We need to hold fast to that reality. What else is Jesus doing in addition to interceding for you? He is keeping an inheritance for you. Consider 1 Peter chapter three, verse twenty-two. Who is gone? Speaking of Jesus. Peter says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And he would say it, uh, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, bless, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But then he goes on in verse 4 to say, "...to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only interceding on your behalf, but He is preparing and keeping an inheritance for you. One that unlike the inheritance that you may receive on this earth that will perish, that will not last, that will fade away eventually as it's spent. The inheritance that's being uh, protected and cared for and kept for you in heaven will never fade away, will never be destroyed. It's imperishable and undefiled. We have... All that Jesus is preparing for us in store for us one day. And not only does He have an inheritance for us, but the Bible, specifically in John, it describes that He's preparing a place for us. He's interceding. He's keeping an inheritance for us. But He's also preparing a place for us. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus came to His followers, His disciples, and He tried to encourage them. In a, in a moment when their hearts were troubled, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. How? how? How are we to not let our hearts be troubled? He tells them, Believe in God and believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I said this last week, and I'll say it again, that the fact that Jesus has resurrected, and again focusing this week, the fact that He has ascended, uh, the fact that He has made good on all of those promises of God in the past uh, gives us assurance that He will make good on the promises that have yet to been, be fulfilled, like that one. That if He goes to prepare a place for us, He promises that He will come again to take us to be where He is. And He's preparing a place for us, in, in a place that He says, His Father has a place that has many rooms, speaking of the fact that there will be many who will come to live with God in heaven for all eternity. For Jesus even says uh, regarding His coming to the earth, He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many of whom would live in those many rooms with God for all eternity. And so Jesus is interceding for us. He is keeping uh, an inheritance for us. He is preparing a place for us. All of those realities should give us as Christians such great certainty and such great assurance. Again, these realities, like the mountains as you travel towards them, should cause you to look up should cause you to be in awe. And as you're traveling up those mountains, as we're traveling into these truths of the ascension, we should continually just be more and more in awe, gaining greater and greater assurance and certainty regarding not only who God is, but also our future as Christians. We can rest in these promises that have yet to be fulfilled, knowing that they will be fulfilled. And so while here on this earth homes may be destroyed by hurricanes or while your health may be destroyed because of a sickness or just simple old age or while relationships may be divided because of one thing or another or jobs and finances may be lost uh, for one reason or, or the other, we have great certainty, great hope that we have a future secure in heaven with an inheritance that is unfading, with a God who is everlasting, uh, who is our Father. And, and we have not only a place, a room, but we too will be seated with Christ there in the end. And so we should have such great encouragement. In fact, those Writers of the New Testament, Paul, who who have mentioned the ascension that I've already mentioned as well, they would go on to say, in light of Jesus being ascended and these truths, they would go on to then command certain responses to Jesus and His ascension. Consider Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are the, that are on this earth. So Christian, what are you to do in light of the ascension? What are you to do in the light in light of the truth that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God? You're to be seeking him. You're to be looking up to him. You're to be seeking the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. And so what are the things of heaven? I would say it's the things of God, the things that are eternal. The God, the Word of God, and the souls of men. Those are the things that are here on this earth that will also be uh, in heaven with us forever. We're to be seeking those things. We're to be spending our life... um, seeking those things, not the things of this earth. This is how Paul, having seen the resurrected, ascended Jesus being converted by Jesus on the road, um, this is how he tells Christians to respond to the ascended Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, who have already showed you, has written much about the ascended Jesus and the truths of the ascended Jesus, tells us that this is how we're to respond to the ascended Jesus. In chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Looking up to the ascended Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christian, look up to Jesus. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. Lay aside every weight that entangles you and keeps you from looking to Jesus. Throw out and destroy every stronghold of sin in your life that keeps you from looking to Jesus. Hold fast and run the race by looking to Jesus ahead of you, who's not only at the finish line waiting for you, but is with you in the race helping you run the way run the race a both and and already not yet this is the response that the writers of the new testament who understood this reality of the ascended christ give us but it's not only it's not only that it's not only for uh our own benefit it's not only for our own gaze to look up but there's also realities for us to look out if you will We look up to Jesus, but we look out at a lost and dying world that have never looked up to Jesus. And if they don't ever look up to Jesus through repentance of sin and faith, we'll never get another chance. And so in light of the ascension, Jesus, just before his ascension, sends out his disciples. One of the places we see this even before His crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, is in John 16, where He says that it would actually be better for Him to go. Uh, because if He goes, then He would send a helper. John 16:7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And so, Jesus, having been crucified buried, and raised on the third day, and having appeared to many for 40 days on the earth, uh, in his last hours, he commissioned and sent out many of his followers. Matthew Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, most famously, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He commissions them and he sends them out to make disciples. This is what I read from Acts chapter 1 as well, when Jesus said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so then Jesus, having commissioned his followers, knowing he was about to ascend, He then ascends before them. He goes up before them. And and if you remember what I read earlier from Acts chapter 1, they're standing looking up at Jesus having ascended into heaven like we would stand and look at the mountains, just jaw dropped, just like, wow, that's great. But then you remember what I read. There were two men in white robes, angels, who said, Why are you standing here looking up into heaven? Did he not tell you that he would come again in the same way that he's gone up? He's going to return. The angel's essentially reminding them of of the commission, saying, don't just stand here looking up into heaven. Go be about his work. Go get to work. Go and make disciples. Waiting for ten days for the Helper whom Jesus promised to come, the Holy Spirit, whom, when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would go out and be about Jesus' work. They would be about their Father's business. Looking to Jesus, the ascended Jesus, giving them motivation and encouragement, knowing that the Spirit of Christ was with them. And one of the examples, just one of the examples of those who experienced that would have been Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen was chosen by the apostles and the early church to be one of the first deacons, if you will, to serve and meet the needs of the early church. And after being chosen by the church to be a deacon, he proclaims the gospel and is seized, right? Just a an encouragement for more of you to serve as deacons in the future. He was proclaiming the gospel and was seized. And he was given one last chance to share the truth of God. Uh, And he did so in Acts chapter 7. And then at the end of his speech, uh, he is being prepared to be stoned. And he says at, at the end of that time in Acts chapter 7 verse 55 it says of Stephen but he was full of the Holy Spirit he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said behold to the crowd behold I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God which led them to stone him uh, afterwards. But this is what Stephen saw. Interesting that J- Stephen saw him standing, not sitting. So chronologically, he, Jesus was, he did ascend to seat at the right hand of God. And I think it's fair to say that when Stephen was proclaiming the truth about God, the truth about Jesus and his testimony of faith in Jesus and was about to receive Stephen's spirit, Jesus stands in affirmation of what Stephen had just said. Jesus stands as mediator on his behalf about to receive him to that place. Nevertheless, Jesus is at the right hand of God and Stephen sees him there. And I wondered too if we as all of those Christians receive the Holy Spirit, we're commissioned by Christ. We too receive the Holy Spirit, have been commissioned by Christ. And we're not only to look up to Jesus, to be in awe of Him, to rest in Him, to, to seek the heavenly things, but we're to go and to make disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of, of Jesus. I wonder if at the end of our life, When we stand before the throne of God, will Jesus stand in affirmation of our repentance of sin, our faith in Him, our faithfulness to say say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, We ought to picture that moment. We ought to consider that moment. We ought to live in light of that. Jesus has not yet made good on his promises to return. He is patient, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 10, not wanting any to perish. He's waiting until all of those who are the Lord's um, will come to faith in him. All of those sheep of the great shepherd will be saved. Jesus is patiently waiting commissioning his church to go and to make disciples we have the privilege of being about that work until he returns but the Bible lastly it speaks about the ascended Jesus in this way in Revelation chapter 5 it speaks of uh, one who is worthy to take the scroll And it says in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of Him, that is God, who was seated on the throne, a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus alone is worthy and able to take the scroll from the hand of God who is on the throne because he alone is seated at the right hand of God. He alone deserves our worship. He alone deserves our praise. And Christian, I hope you're encouraged to worship him in light of these truths that we may not focus on as often. We ought to look up to him and be more in awe of him um, than the mountains that we look up to and are in awe of their majesty. We ought to seek him in the things that are above. We ought to be about his business. But if you've yet to put your faith and trust in this Jesus, this crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended Jesus, know that you too will stand before God one day. And if you don't have Jesus on your side to stand in your behalf on that day, you will spend eternity separated from God. And the worst part about hell is being separated from God for all eternity And yet the best part about heaven being in God's presence is available to you through simple faith, through simple repentance of sin and trust in Jesus. And I can't encourage you and urge you enough to make that your reality. The reality that I described that is available to us as Christians, the hope, the assurance, the future is yours through faith in Jesus this morning if you would turn to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would make known these realities in an even deeper way this morning. I pray that we, having been reminded of these truths, having seen these truths, uh, once again we would worship in spirit and in truth, that we would be in awe, that we wouldn't just sing louder, that we wouldn't just sing more passionately this morning, though I hope we do. But that we would go out, that we would be sent to make disciples, to be the church in the world, for you are the ascended Christ, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. You deserve all honor, all glory. You have sent your Spirit to be our helper. Spirit, help us to seek the things that are above, not just earthly things. Help us, Jesus. We know that you are interceding on our behalf even in this moment for that very reason. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.